I am obsessed with your background. This is the most fabulous gay setup I think I've ever oh, this seen. Thing? <laughs> this whole thing? Oh, thank you. <laughs> oh, this whole thing. I love that. I uh, I didn't know that you were also an artist. So I was I was doing doing my research as one does, and I saw like all the like cool mask and art designs, and I was like, I this is this is a, this is an aesthetic. This is a vibe. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it's a pretty recent development for me because like. I've always drawn, I just haven't been able to put it on the computer until I got my hands on an Apple Pencil and iPad. So it's yep. like, I've only now been able to put that stuff online. <laughs> That's so, awesome. JP, I was just telling Alex how we know each other, really. It's not because you're from Oklahoma, but that was <laughs> part of the connection after we realized it. But we were going to these meetings called convening meetings and they were very helpful, I thought. I, I haven't gotten an invitation in several years, and I don't know if they're not doing them anymore. But, um, and so for several years, and then JP, weren't you the one one time I was texting you or Twitter messaging you in an airport, and you said, yeah, I think I'm across the way from you. Was that you? Oh my gosh, I really have flushed so much of my life down the toilet that I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Maybe, probably. <laughs> um. Okay. So I think that I, if it wa wasn't you, it was another young, cute boy. <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. so funny. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's like right before the pandemic happened, that's like such a different world from even. <laughs> so I'm like, what was I doing? What was yeah. my life like? Who did I know? <laughs> right, right. You look good. Well, thank you. I'm trying. <laughs> yeah. And I, too, love the background. How queer. <laughs> How queer. <laughs> Not as queer as your quilt, which I love. I love that it's a quilt. That's my favorite element of the whole thing, right? It has that, like, patchwork to it. <laughs> my background. Mm -hmm. So good, that. JP, like, I had no idea that you were from Oklahoma, and literally, um, I went to college out in LA, and literally all my gay friends would re retweet your shit all the time, and I was like, this guy's cool, and I followed you, and then, like, I saw you tweeted something about Brahms, and my mind was blown, I was like, oh, a gay guy out of Oklahoma, what? I and love that. from Oklahoma, but of Brahms experience, I think that that's a really crucial element. <laughs> oh, it, it, it really is, you know? Um, you, you grew up in Lawton, right? So I grew up in Comanche County, which is sort of between Lawton and Cash. So I spent a lot of my time in Cash, but Lawton is sort of the only thing anyone will recognize. So I usually just say Lawton. Mm -hmm. And like, how did, how did you escape? What was your ticket out of Oklahoma? Oh, it was fully just writing. Even like in high school, it was writing. Um, I, so I went to Lawton High which is, it was kind of a rough school when I went. I don't know what it's like right now, but it had a very robust English department. So my mom was my English teacher in the ninth grade. And wow. then we had a teacher named Doc Freeman. We called him Doc because he had a PhD. And he kind of pushed me to enter all these essay contests, um, which I did. And I started winning quite a few of them. And that was the first time I was able to actually like, not just travel, but travel, because of something I did, if that makes any sense. Because, um, you know, as a kid, that's like the most magic thing possible. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm on a plane and I put myself on this plane because of something I wrote and did. Um, 
so yeah, that was sort of my first taste of getting out. Uh, and then I took a blogging job in 20, gosh, when was it? 2013. And I lived in DC for a year doing that. Um, then I moved to New York and I got sort of involved in New York media. And a few years later, um, I'm here. Yes, I'm here. Um, still have a lot of love for Oklahoma. Um, I wish I could visit right now. It'd be hard, <laughs> but um, I miss a lot of things about it. Now, with your beginning writings, did you write about Oklahoma or were you writing about just your queer experience? Yeah, um, I've always found Oklahoma to be a really exciting subject. Uh, I know that not a lot of people would feel similar, <laughs> but I feel that Oklahoma is actually very rich with context and there's a lot going on. And I think it really helped me sort of create and build out my imagination because I spent a lot of time wondering what other places were like. Oklahoma is such a great place to sort of sit and think and imagine the rest of the world. Because um, where I lived, like out in the country, it was very flat. We could sort of see the Wichita Mountains off in the distance and Cash was a little ways away. And I spent a lot of time just imagining worlds and imagining things that I would come across in life. Um, so it really helped me, not just with my writing, but like the poetic aspects of my writing, because I've always been interested in beauty. I've always been interested in like, I don't know, that sort of really beautiful Oklahoma laziness that I put into everything. Like laziness might be the wrong word, but it's got this like song kind of quiet, um, peaceful thing to it that I really bake into everything I do because I love it so much. Um, yeah, I would say it really inspired me. And I do write a lot about my own experiences. Uh, I would like to think that I would do that regardless of wherever I'm from. You know, I write a lot about being Mexican-American. I write a lot about being gay. I write a lot about where I grew up and everything. But um, I do feel lucky because I think Oklahoma is such an interesting canvas. And I think that Weirdly enough, this past year, people have started to agree a little bit more because um, we had like the Oklahoma Broadway play happen. Um, we had, of all things, she's not from Oklahoma, but I think Casey Musgrave really popularized the idea of like an accessible sort of cowboy yeehaw aesthetic that Oklahoma has <laughs> going for it. And I think that I saw a lot of people reclaiming those visuals and sort of imagining like, oh yeah, what's going on in that part of the country. Um, and so writing about Oklahoma was never easier for me because it was at this weird intersection of things where it's like, not only is it chic right now, but I actually had lived experience there. So I had a really good time and I'm still having a really good time incorporating it into all my projects. Mm. So it's real when you put on a cowboy hat in Brooklyn. It's not real. And I, wish people, I wish people knew it was real because the thing is like I <laughs> I had my first pair of cowboy boots my gosh I was stuffed into some when I was before I could even remember anything I was like five six uh, my grandfather on my white side was a farmer and he was getting honored at some sort of farmer's event and my dad put me into some cowboy boots to go there and I hated that event <laughs> i remember it so vividly it might be my first memory of life it's like i'm in this cafeteria hall thing wearing cowboy boots surrounded by a bunch of you know uh, people i don't know and they're all giving speeches about crops <laughs> i'm just like five <laughs> and i'm like i want them to die <laughs> yeah i noticed like when you move away of 
from Oklahoma, it oddly becomes more a part of your identity because you, you don't realize because you're so embedded within it. Absolutely. Like, right? And like the most creative people, I think, are coming from the places where nothing's going on, despite right. most creatives being on coastal cities, you know? And I think we always have. I think if you look at the past, um, when it comes to literature, people can get a lot done writing from the middle of the country. And I think that a lot of really amazing writers and artists come from there. We just sort of end up in these, you know, bigger cities. But um, yeah, I think it just, it's really conducive to writing and really conducive to your imagination. And I'm, I'm really happy that I grew up there. And, you know, whenever I hear someone bad mouthing it, I'm just like, you don't get to do that. <laughs> oh, I get, I get so defensive when people are like, oh, people from the Midwest are done. I'm like, hey, only right. I can say that. Like, I get to do that, not you. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And when it comes to just uh, being a queer creative, you know, there could there can be a lot going against you, especially when it comes to creating content for a larger audience that not might not be familiar with LGBT issues. So, how do you, as a creative, stay true to your true to your own queer identity while also making a living? Yeah, I'm, I'm really lucky in that it's gotten so easy for me because now I'm just so embedded with all these other LGBT creatives to the point where it's like, they're all I really talk to, they're the people I read, they're the people I text, they're the people who, when I'm feeling bad, you know, try to lift me up and vice versa. And it's gotten to this point where it's almost become invisible to me. And that's such a rare thing to have. And I know it's a rare thing to have because for a lot of people, including myself, when I was younger, it was like such a huge thing. And, you know, burden is the wrong word because it's, it's such a vibrant, colorful, important, thing to have but there were times where it was sort of like my gosh I wish I didn't have to deal with this <laughs> or I wish that you know things were a little bit easier or things were a little bit uh, more accessible to me and I tried to put myself back in those shoes quite a bit because it's so easy for me here in Brooklyn to become jaded and sort of cringe at what I see as like more novel expressions of like you know um LGBT community stuff where I'm just like, oh, this is tacky. Aren't we past this? And I have to sort of check myself and be like, you didn't have this growing up. You didn't have this even just a few years ago. Let someone have that. Because um, it's, it's no guarantee that you're going to find your people. So when I make things nowadays, I really do feel like, and this is a new phenomenon for me, and maybe it's only been the case for the past year or two, I feel like I'm just making things. I don't feel like I'm sitting down and being like, as a gay Latino, what do I have to say about this? Because I have done that in the past because those were the channels that were available to me, especially when I was doing the, um, the op-ed circuit because op-eds and like uh, essays for mainstream news outlets are usually so tied to identity and so tied to like what people will let you write about and for me, I found it very easy to be like, well, I'm gay, I'm Latino, I'm from, you know, a rural community, let me write about this. And that's how I was able to establish my credentials to people who maybe otherwise wouldn't take a chance on me because, you know, I wasn't born into connections. I didn't go to a super fancy school. I wasn't born into like a whole bunch of money. So it was like, those were the things available to me. I got very good at navigating them and using them to sort of like, you know, pitch myself. Uh, and that's something I had to do at the time. And I'm trying my best now to not look at my old stuff and be like, oh, you were being um, a cliche or you were using your identities to get ahead. No, it's like, that's just what I had to do. <laughs> um, mm -hmm. 
So that's where I am right now. I'm very lucky, very privileged, and I try to remind myself as much as I possibly can. No, I mean, as a writer, like, that's how you make ends meet, you know? Yep, and it's, it's, it's the unfortunate reality of a lot of big publications is that, like, they want to know, they want to look at what makes us different just because yep. that's what gets the most headlines. Yep. So um, there, I also, I started getting into your advice column pretty, pretty early on. And I was wondering, like, how do you as a, like a creative keep that going? And do you have any tips for, you know, just young gay writers trying to get into this industry? Yeah. So one thing I'm trying to work on about myself is becoming a more, for lack of a better word, I guess, nurturing person, a person who can sustain something over long periods of time. And right now that challenge looks like buying a bunch of plants and trying to keep them alive. Um, and I say that because, like, I'm amazed at myself for keeping Olapathy up and running as long as I have and sort of, like, feeding it every week or every so often because, to me, I find it hard. I'm a very restless person. I'm a restless creative when it comes to my work, and I like to move from project to project very quickly. When I'm done with something, I'm done with it. Olapathy has been in my life for, like, three years now or something like that, and that is bonkers <laughs> to me. Like, that is a very long time. Um, and I find so that communication difficult. I'm guessing you've never been married then. Nope. <laughs> I'm not. <laughs> even my, yeah, even my romantic relationships tend to be, you know, pretty short, pretty intense. Um, that's the kind of person I am. So it's amazing that Ola Poppy is my longest running boyfriend at this point. Like, that's a long time. <laughs> um, and I think when I look at, like, how I've been able to do that and why it feels so easy for me to do, um, it's because there are ways to keep it dynamic, keep it interesting. You know, the advice column is such a malleable format because it's just someone coming to you with the prompt you have to answer. It's almost like every single prompt is different and you get to sort of try something new every single day. Like today, um, I did one about this guy who was having nightmares about Amy Coney Barrett invading his dreams and bullying him in his sleep. And it was like such a funny, such a like weird, question to answer and I decided to lean into the comedy aspect whereas like last week somebody was like hey I just lost a family member how do I grieve this and I got to be you know a little more serious and sort of help them out in a way that I thought um, had more gravity to it and so for me it's a really nice format because I can sort of chameleon around and try different voices and try different approaches uh, it's really fun but yeah in terms of like when you're just beginning I really do think it's a matter of building up your skills and then listening to your instincts in roughly equal measure because the thing is like I do feel like I can listen to my instincts a lot right now and come up with good stuff but that's only because I've spent years and years and years practicing and building up the techniques and sort of learning the ins and outs of things so at the very beginning <laughs> my instincts weren't great my instincts were sort of like uh I know what I want to write I know what I want to say I don't know how to say it um, mm -hmm. So I think that you should just read a lot, read a whole lot, share a lot, talk to a lot of people who are trying to do something similar to you. And when you're writing, try not to put too much pressure on yourself to make it the best thing you've ever written. Sometimes you just write to write and that's fine and it lowers the stakes and you'll be surprised by the things you come up with when you're not pushing yourself to write the next great American essay. Mm -hmm. I think it makes it more authentic. and. I mean, your advice columns for me, I think I love the the comedy aspect from it. Because in my mind, like advice columns were like from wine moms in the 80s. But when I said, <laughs> <laughs> and I like, 
Like, honestly, when I started reading yours regularly, I, I felt like a hipster in 2013 who discovered a vinyl. Like, it was something so new. You know what I mean? So Thank you. That's a wonderful compliment. Yeah. And I was, I was wondering, like, you probably get a lot of submissions, and there's probably some, you know, really off-the-wall ones. Are there any ones that, like, you've ever just thought, this is hilarious, but I cannot fucking write about this? Oh, my God. So many are like that. Um, you know, I get a lot of joke ones, which I love. I get ones from people who, because sometimes I'll screenshot the wildest ones, and people are aware of that, and they just want to see if they can, like, end up with a screenshot. <laughs> um, I saw a really funny one a few weeks ago. <laughs> someone who used me as a sort of like missed connections forum to be like I don't need advice I need you to tell this person to give my book back because we went on a date I gave him a book to borrow and he still has it and he's not returning it so if you screenshot this and share it he's a follower of yours he likes your stuff he'll know <laughs> okay and then I screenshot it and put it up and then like the next day I get an email saying thank you I got the book back it was so funny <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I, I love that silly ones <laughs> really silly ones i i bet but okay this next question i have it's going to be a little controversial so okay, go. if if you don't want to answer it's totally fine but is space gay <laughs> <laughs> i think um you will find that i do believe space is gay uh that's my take if someone asked me to explain myself, I would say, no, I'm at peace with the knowledge. I, I don't mm -hmm. think, like, it's a vibe. It's a mood. Once it hits you, you get it. You know it. <laughs> oh, space and astrology is the gayest thing. It's, I have yet yeah, to find, yeah. yeah, I have yet to find one homosexual who doesn't know their rising sign, their sun sign, <laughs> their moon sign, you know? Well, the moon is a lesbian, canonically. Um, I don't know if you saw that, like, NASA is teasing some moon news, and I'm trying so hard not to tweet like she's coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I would love it. What is your sign? Um, I'm a Pisces, but my oh, I am too. Okay. My moon is Aries, which explains more about me, I think, because a lot of Pisces I meet are sort of like these um, lyrical poet uh you know imaginative people and i feel that heavily but then aries is like but what if we found a way to you know become powerful with this <laughs> and that's yeah. how my brain works <laughs> oh i'm a i'm a double water sign and i was looking up like who had my birthday so i got i got a range of pisces so we got i have chuck norris so we have that kind of pisces and then know. yeah right okay and then the next one is osama bin laden so we have those <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Two different ranges of Pisces. So I'm always confused with all my like astral charts. It sounds like one of those conservative, like these are the two genders takes. That itself is just a meme. March 10th, if anyone wants to look that up. You know, up. who has my um, sun, moon, and rising at the same time is Walter Mercado. <laughs> which really? says, it says a whole lot. It says a whole lot. Um, I love that. Did you watch the uh, documentary about him? Yes. So I'm doing some work for Netflix right now. Um, so sometimes I watch stuff and I help them with things. And I watched Walter Mercado for the job and I was like, wow, <laughs> what a life. What a person. It's amazing to me just like, you know, bringing it back to queerness a little bit that like he had so many straight cis fans people who 
some oftentimes held like anti-LGBT views while at the same time loving this like gender bending, non-binary looking, you know, over the top figure. It's always interesting to me how showmanship can sort of provide this like avenue for people to engage in queerness in a way that doesn't feel like that's what they're doing. <laughs> oh, uh, 101%. I didn't even know who Walter Mercado was before I watched it. And now I'm just like, I love it. Well, actually, okay, I take that back. Um, on Drag Race, on the All-Stars, oh uh, God, uh, Alexis Mateo did Walter yep. Mercado. So yep. JK, but I, I'm in love and I want to like wear his clothes now because yeah. they're so colorful, that, like, like a drag queen. That Halloween spider web thing, ugh. So yeah, <laughs> I know. I'm like, I, I wish I would have been able to have like a conversation with this man. I cannot imagine like what he just, what he'll just casually say, you know? Yes, absolutely. And when it comes to your um, like Mexican-American heritage, it's super important to your work. And I was wondering, um, how did being that intersection of being queer and Mexican influence your art in general? I think it influences it a lot. I think like, I just love Mexican visuals, Mexican aesthetics. And I like to think that I would love it even if I wasn't Mexican myself. I think I'm just drawn to that sort of thing. <laughs> I love the skulls, the florals, the, the ornate, dramatic kind of, um, artistry that goes into a lot of the stuff that gets made in Mexico, but um, it, it's kind of strange for me. I don't know. I spent so much time of my life figuring out what that identity means and what it looks like and what my relationship to it is because, you know, as a Mexican-American, there's some weird uh, politics involved with like, well, am I Mexican? Am I Mexican-American? Am I nothing at all? What's going on? Um, but I have found that my place where I really enjoy to be is in those in-betweens, not just with um, being Mexican, Mexican-American, but you know, being gay, being a person. I really enjoy those sort of like gray areas, the weird waters where you can sort of like spend more time imagining things and defining things yourself rather than having those definitions given to you. Um, I think that's my creative sweet spot and I'm really grateful that uh, not only am I there mentally, but in a weird way, I was born into it. It's kind of fun for me. But mm -hmm. yeah, I, I have such a fondness for Mexican culture and Mexican food. Uh, being in Mexico, I really want to be in Mexico City so badly. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I feel like um, your content's extremely relatable, especially for like first generation and second generation Americans who um, might just feel estranged from their own culture due to the, you know, the fear of assimilation. Mm -hmm. And like you've even, you've wrote about that in depth. And I, uh, I loved your article about Julian Castro and how like his uh, struggle to speak Spanish is more authentic than Better O'Rourke or Cory Booker speaking Spanish. Oh, thank you. Yeah, um, I spend so much time thinking about language, obviously. I mean, probably a lot of people do, but I'm really fascinated by language and what it means and how we use it to create identities and realities. And it's such a faulty tool. <laughs> it is so imprecise. And I think in the LGBT community, that's so evident. <laughs> we're always trying to find better words. We're always trying to use terms that are more accurate. And we're always trying to include more people, but also make sure that we're holding on to, you know, the historical significance of certain words. And we spend a lot of time debating, you know, which ones to use, what to call someone. Um, and I think that's healthy and robust and something I'm really happy about 
in terms of being part of the community, but it also, I think, really highlights the existential dread of language where it's just like, oh my gosh, what an imperfect system. It's never going to include all the people I want to include, but it's what we've got. We have to use it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that's a, that's a more real experience. Those were um, all my questions, but yeah, thank you, JP, for all that. But by, by the way, I love it that you're, I was like, uh, we have a time. We have a time limit. He's like, it's okay. I'm I'm hungry. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm so bad with my time lately. Like the days just slip through my fingers, and I'm like, oh my gosh, it's evening. What happened? How did I? Oh, that that's happen? Corona in a nutshell. That is Corona in a nutshell. Uh, like, yeah, I'm waking up at the most sporadic time. Sometimes I wake up at seven. Sometimes I wake up at ten, and there doesn't seem to be rhyme or reason to it. It's just. I just like, okay, I'm going to sleep. What happens, happens. <laughs> we'll find out together. We, we are just vibing in 2020. It's Is a, it pretty locked down in New York? It's a vibe-based experience. Um, New York is kind of, it was calm for a while, and now I think we're, start, we're starting to get more uh, anxious again. It's been, it's been rough. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I bet. In Oklahoma, like, while we are in the red zone, where we don't like half the people don't believe it they're just not wearing a mask i was about to say yeah, yeah what's it like being outside right now or like if you when you go to the supermarket or like when you have to be out and about what does it look and feel like like for me okay i live in like near like midtown like kind yeah, of yeah. on 10th and so i'll be walking down to like broadway and like everyone walking usually doesn't have a mask but at least in grocery stores i would say most people have masks i have yet to experience one of those like viral internet fights where someone's like put on your mask i've not yet experienced that but i right. i am waiting because i feel like that's something that's going to happen so yeah in most places most places i go jp it's um there's a sign on the door that says must wear mask and then they cite the citation the the mayor made it a, a law that in this area it was gift oh, wow. so. yeah i don't know if you remember um there was actually an argument about Oklahoma in the early stages of the pandemic where people were writing those personal essays about like, here's why I left New York. And somebody went to Oklahoma from New York and disparagingly was like, no one here knows that there's a pandemic happening, that no one's wearing a mask. And then the reaction was like, you were traveling. <laughs> Which like, it, it was just such a funny thing because it was one of those putting down Oklahoma type things of like, oh, these ignorant hillbillies don't know that a pandemic well, is honestly, happening. And like... Honestly, it, that was true in the beginning. I mean, I'd go places and they were recommending, the CDC was recommending a mask. Right. And couldn't have it or they, or they wear it under their nose. <laughs> yeah, do you remember that really early time in the pandemic where like the mask stuff was super unclear? It was like, I felt so guilty for like having one because I'm like, am I supposed to donate this or am I supposed to? <laughs> What's going it's on? Horrible. Yeah, I remember when I first wore it, and I just felt like, wow, we the world is really ending. And I didn't like, I don't care about wearing a mask. It was just weird that like now this is just a normal thing. You yeah, know? yeah. It's weird. Oh, have my thing where like you leave the house and you briefly like, oh crap, my mask, and you have to like go back and get it. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah, all the time. Or I'll be trying to like carry multiple things. And I'm like, I need to put on my damn mask. And yeah. <laughs> and I've been 
I don't know. I'm going to get one of your masks because I need more stylish ones instead of the ones where I look like I'm about to go do surgery. So I would love to just send you one. Just let me know which one yeah. I will I will have one since for sure. They are, they are super pretty. But yeah, Ooh. cool. Awesome. Well, we're finished with all our questions. I always end on the awkward note. I literally do not end this fucking podcast. <laughs> I always just like, I'll literally for every talk, talk be like, yeah, cool. Well, thank you. And everyone's just like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It, it was it's great to see you. I really hope that um, in the future I can come to Oklahoma and we can all yeah. hang. It would be wonderful. Hope that's in the cards one day. <laughs> yeah, we can get Brahms together. It'd be lovely. Yes. <laughs>